Hello and welcome to Hacked Off. In today's episode, I'm going to answer a question that um, I've received a few times recently and I just figured it was a little bit of a funny one to go into. And this is, when you're doing a pen test, do you ever find hackers? Like, do you ever, whilst um, compromising a company, find that somebody else has been there? And to be honest, whilst it's not very common, it it does happen. So I guess this is uh, an introduction into how do companies find that they've been breached and and what happens and those kinds of things. If anyone's worried about that kind of thing, like, oh, we've uh, we've engaged a pen testing company and we're worried that, you know, they'll they'll find some dirty laundry or they'll find something, um, you know, bad. Then, I mean, you've got to think about it in terms of uh, that's good, right? I mean, being compromised is never good, but it's it's better to know that these problems exist. But in terms of actually what happens from the pen tester's point of view, if we do find that a company's been compromised during an engagement, the first thing that we do is is stop all testing, make good notes, good records of what it was that we were up to, what point in the engagement we were up to, the reason, the kind of evidence as to, to why we think the company's been um, compromised, and then we'll we'll let the the client contact know. And we can be there to to support that that company, whilst you know suddenly moving from from pen test to incident response isn't necessarily the uh, the most ideal situation. You know, you're not necessarily on your own when you get compromised. How does this actually come about, though? Like, how would uh, a pen tester know that that there's somebody else in the system or those kinds of things? Sometimes it can just be um, odd behaviors or um, strange system configurations. But very often, certainly from the point of view of compromising websites, it's because the attackers will have used very similar techniques to what we used, and therefore they'll use very similar, or they'll leave very similar um, evidence or artifacts that they've been there. So if you think of something like a, a web server, if you compromise a web server through, um, you know, file upload or something like that, you get a web shell. Maybe there's another web shell there. So yeah, to be honest, um, on Pentest, whilst it, it doesn't come up very often, it it does come up. We do find that that companies have have been hacked whilst we're there. I think one of the things that you should think about as as a company, just as like a thought experiment, is um, how would you know if you've been compromised? So not necessarily looking at like, oh, we'll get the pen testers in and they'll tell us if anyone's hacked us before, because that's not our primary role, whilst it might come up. You should just think about like, uh, what kind of indicators of compromise would you have? Is it possible that you could be operating with uh, a compromised network or some compromised systems and, and not be aware of it? And how in, in previous breaches, how have companies found out about it? What are they doing that's led them to understand uh, some, some issue has occurred? I mean, there's, there's some good examples there in terms of like the, the Equifax breach. What, what happened there was they had a monitoring system that picked up that breach. There was a whole issue around the certificate, but uh, a monitoring system or an intrusion detection system, data loss prevention system, something like that, picking up a breach isn't the only way. A pen tester finding a breach isn't the only way. Another thing, of course, is a third party might contact you. And that's something to, to not necessarily worry about, but something to, to consider how that process would work. So this could be if you take uh, payments online or, or something like that, or if you, uh, you know, have an uh, e-commerce website. It, it could be the case that you know, banking or payment partners uh, pick up on 
the fact that a, that a breach has occurred. So this could be where well, there's been a, a series of fraud and they've looked for a single point of commerce and they found, oh, all of these customers that have fraudulent activity, they've all shopped with you, something like that. Or it might be a law enforcement. It certainly wouldn't be the first time that I've heard of uh, a company being informed by law enforcement that the, there's reason to believe that their systems have been compromised. Every time I've heard of that, receiving like a, a letter from the NCSE or something like that, um, it, every time I've heard about it, it doesn't necessarily have specific detail about how they know or what it was that's indicated uh, that the compromise has taken place. But I would speculate that this would uh, likely come about just as a side effect of the work that law enforcement do. So they, you know, um, arrest some um, criminal organization, they're investigating some um, some hacking crew or something like that, and they, and they find out that, that your systems have been caught up in, in that breach. So they let you know that, oh, hey, this IP address, this system, you know, we have reason to believe that it's been compromised. When these things happen, when you find out that you've you've been breached, I guess there's a bit of a stereotype or a bit of a trope that um, it's going to be like 5.30 on a Friday. It's going to be a bad time. It's going to be Black Friday or it's going to be whatever uh, peak period your organization has. So you should prepare for those kinds of things as well. But when you receive that phone call, uh, it's going to be a bad day. But it'd be worse if, if that message doesn't get through. So one of the things to consider that I find um, not so many companies outside of technology companies have considered or set up is um, a, a published contact details for how people can submit security issues. So this could just be like a security at uh, email address or something like that, or some published page that says, you know, if you notice anything suspicious or if you if you have any um, concerns, then you can let us know at this address just start to establish a process for should uh, that come about, uh, this is this is what you do. It's very awkward, very awkward when you're working with a company and um, you know you find you know, find a web shell or something like that. that that's how it's happened previously for me. Uh, compromising a company, get file upload on on the system, get a web shell up there, and you you find another web shell. Like, okay, somebody's been here before. And I I try not to uh, immediately freak out at this point. I try not to think. Oh, this this company's been uh, been hacked. It's going to be a, a, a nightmare. You know, have to do instant response, all that kind of thing, because it could just be you know a previous pen tester, or it might be something like they have a public bug bounty, and it's somebody working on the bug bounty, and they've, they've just been there before you. So sometimes it's that. Maybe they have internal testing teams. Um, hopefully you, you'd be aware of all of these things before an engagement starts. But you know, sometimes uh, sometimes things get missed off the the list. So yeah, uh, stop all tests, <laughs> take good notes, contact the uh, the customer and say, hey, I think you've been breached. And um, generally at that point, I find many customers uh, don't have um, incident response plans. Like I said, big companies, technology companies, those kinds of things, you know, immediately go get out the, the three ring binder folder and say, okay, right, we've got an incident, let's run through the process. Um, but for companies that don't have a process, uh, things get really difficult. So I guess the takeaway from this is, um, write an incident response plan. The incident response plan shouldn't start at the worst case scenario and work its way back. It should just start at something like an indicator of compromise. Now, how can companies get compromised and what should you do when those things occur? There's a lot of things, right? You know, phishing, those kinds of things, but pen testers finding hackers is, is, is another thing to consider. Um, in, in terms of uh, problems that I've had with uh, companies who've been breached and then, and then the following steps, one of the things that comes up um, quite frequently, 
And there's a logical approach here. There's there's a, a sensible reason why a company might consider this, but it's just a, a thing to, to worry about. Um, if you've had some kind of um, security incident, you know, had a, a website be defaced or some malicious activity on a server or something like that, you might consider that, um, oh, we, we should get a penetration test. We should get some hackers in to try and break in because we got compromised once. So we want to know, you know, are there other routes in? Maybe how did this uh, attacker compromise us? Um, I think I think some organizations consider uh, jumping straight to pen testing. And, you know, you would expect that uh, pen testing would yield those results. We would find uh, different ways in. We'd find um, quite possibly how that attacker gained access. But an alternative option, of course, is um, incident response into a forensics investigation, taking the server offline and, and, and uh, looking at the state of it and seeing the actions that took place recently and and trying to find out um, specifically what the the attackers did. So it's like these two competing options here between a forensics investigation to take a look at what happened and a pen test to find uh, this method in and then uh, potentially lots of other methods in. And I can see why some customers might immediately uh, default uh, to the side of, we'll just do a pen test because you might find more issues that you can fix at the same time. And I would just say, I would just like uh, advise caution in that regard. One of the things is... Um, if you if you have a pen tester and you unleash a pen tester on, on your systems, uh, we're going to mess up the logs, right? We're going to fill it with a lot of attack traffic. So if after the pen test you decide that actually you want to go back and do an investigation into what the attackers did, or maybe you're somehow uh, required to, to to do the forensics investigation, you want to do the pen test as well, then, it, then it's going to make that difficult. Shouldn't, in theory, be a problem because you should be able to separate the tester's traffic um, from the uh, previous traffic, but you're just going to make that that whole job harder. You're going to, um, you know, have a lot of attack uh, artifacts in, in those systems that are, um, you know, difficult to separate from what was the attackers you paid for and and uh, what actions were taken by the attackers you didn't pay for. So it's a thing to consider. I have had it uh, previously with customers where they've uh, been compromised. Say, for example, uh, a machine has been. Um, infected with malicious software or something like that, a virtual defacement, one of these common kinds of attacks. And they have uh, reverted the state of the machine, so they've rolled it back to how it was, restored it from a backup, those kinds of things, um, and then engaged a pen testing company to come in and, and, and try and hack them and try and find the, the vulnerability. And um, in theory, that, that makes complete sense. It's like, um, yeah, we roll it back to a known good state and then we try and find the issue ourselves. The, the problem, of course, occurs if, if these systems remain online. You know, you haven't isolated them into a test environment and then brought a, a tester in to try and work out the state of the machine in terms of number of vulnerabilities, exploitable issues, those kinds of things. Because, of course, the attacker might come back. Or the attacker might have gained persistence, so you haven't gotten rid of them. And, you know, you, you roll it back to a backup and then suddenly find the next day that that malware or that virtual defacement is back again. So those are, those are things to consider. But um, in short, to answer the question that we received of, uh, do you ever find other attackers during a pen test? Yeah, we do. And I think if you talk to um, any pen tester who's been doing it for a little while, they'll, they'll definitely have one or two stories of, of that occurring. It, it like any breach, is, is um, such a stressful engagement. It's not a, a thing that I'm saying you should worry about. It's not a thing that I'm saying you should, you know, if you've booked a pen test in, that you should um, worry that this might be an outcome because it's incredibly unlikely. Or in my experience, it's very infrequent. Um, but it is a good time to, to bring up the point of um, if you found out that you got breached, you know, if, if a law enforcement, if a banking partner, if a security third, uh, third party you know, provider uh, contacted you and said, hey, we've got reason to believe that you've been compromised, you know, would you be 
am prepared to, to have that conversation? Would you be prepared to to, to do the incident response? Um, and if you're not, and if this is a thing that, that's worried you and you're listening to this this podcast and you get to this point and you're thinking, okay, this isn't a thing we've, we've thought about before or maybe we don't have an incident response plan, then now's the ideal time to start doing it, right? And I think my, my general advice for people who are um, looking at uh, doing a lot of the IR stuff internally or starting to map out those processes internally uh, and you don't have necessarily, you know, an, an in-house expert on, on the IR stuff, I think my, my, my single uh, advice there would be there is no single process for incident response. The way that you would deal with a web server being defaced is is very different to uh, an inside threat or a uh, phishing email that's been successful, like a, a payload coming over a malicious email attachment or something like that. And so you shouldn't um, design your incident response processes around the presumption that there will be a single, you know, neutral best approach. And, and in this context, you might hear the term uh, playbooks. So in incident response, playbooks generally refer to the the process uh, file or the, the process that folder that you open in the event of a specific type of incident. So there's going to be some things that are generic to all incidents. For example, um, informing the IT department, informing the board, possibly having a call-out sheet to get a crisis team out. Things like triage in terms of working out what's the business impact, how a service is affected, those kinds of things. Those aspects to incident response might be the same no matter the scale of the incident. You know, should we call everyone out? And if we are going to call everyone out, how do we physically achieve that? They'll be the the same potentially uh, no matter the scale or type. But other actions will be very, very different depending on whether it's malware outbreak or social engineering or something like that. Um, You know, good example would be if you have a malware outbreak, you're going to worry about um, containment, eradication, those kinds of things. If it's a social engineering engagement, then then maybe the, the methods and the process would be quite different. Maybe there's some things to consider there in terms of recovery. Not that you wouldn't be able to do it, but maybe just things that you can uh, get ahead of. So if you do have a malware outbreak, and one of the things that you might have to do is you know, rebuild some machines or replace some machines. You know, if you if you um, quarantine some staff members' machines, lock them away in the IT department, and then uh, issue new devices to the affected staff members, um, how quickly can you build those devices? How quickly can you restore services? Uh, these are all things to to think about now. So I think, um, yeah, my, my advice is um, take a look at the way you do IR. If you're doing it as a single process, if you've got a really pretty um, flow chart in your um, IR folder or your business continuity folder, um, that's cool. Those have their place, but they're, they're not necessarily the best thing. Um, consider uh, playbooks. And also consider that thought process of if a third party did want to report something to you, um, you know, law enforcement, a payment provider, something like that, um, how would they go about doing that? You know, do you have a published security contact? Uh, do you have a, a process for escalating from call center up to the security team? And if you don't, it's something to consider. So thanks for listening. And um, I'm curious, is is this uh, something that you guys have, have come across before? I'd be really interested to hear um, any of the stories that, that you have from um, dealing with, you know, incidents. Um, was there a lesson that you learned during an incident that you wish you had known beforehand, something you could have preferred for um, if you just had um, thought of it before? Let us know over social media and I will see you in the next podcast. Mm-hmm.